Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community. Hi everyone, my name is Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As per usual, to tackle this community question, I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you over there in the UK? I'm very well, thank you, mate. The sun has started to come out. Um, I think it's now officially spring, so the world is a better place. That's great. Um, how are things with you? Yeah, good. Good. Been spending some time uh, with my brother working on a few exciting initiatives for PDP this week um, in and around where he lives. And uh, also, you know, we've had some great content come out over the site or on the site over the last week um, from David Sharkey, who's sort of become our resident rugby writer uh, with a nice story on, uh, on team dynamics. Uh, we've got a research review coming up this week, so one to watch out for as well from Professor Bill Harper. Um, so that'll be out later in the week. And uh, of course, always working on some exciting new things behind the scenes. So it's been good and, uh, and good to get alongside my brother Adam, who's obviously busy working on the user experience of the site constantly. Any news on your side in terms of what you've been up to? Uh, yeah, yesterday I was fortunate to go to the first game at the new uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which mm-hmm. is very impressive. If you get a chance to go, I'd recommend it. So it's uh, 62,000 and, you know, all kind of state-of-the-art, lots of lights, lots of pretty things to look at, lots of big TV screens. And uh, I'm sure when they get playing in a Champions League night game, that's going to be a hell of an atmosphere there. Yeah, really going to be a special place. Yeah, what a, what a privilege to get along and have a look. It looks like a fantastic uh, stadium. I saw the tweet that you put out there about that. It looked like a great day out. So really good. And uh, we've got an interesting question to tackle this week. It's coming from a club called Appleton AFC via Twitter. And the question is, what is your view on equal playing time with players from under seven to under 17? So I'd guess that, you know, their age groups uh, at the club are probably from this range. There may be some considerations to discuss here in terms of what's most relevant at various ages. So we'll try and tackle that. Dan, what are your sort of first thoughts around this question? Yeah, I think um, we need a lot of context, don't we, around what the what the environment is and the kind of the, the why of the football club. What, what is the purpose? That would be my, um, my immediate take. How about for you? Yeah, definitely. I think it's all about considering what we're trying to achieve with those teams. Um, So we don't really know the context of what leagues they're playing in or or what level they're working at in their community. But I think if we take the broad statement that in development football, the purpose is to to develop players and develop people and ensure kids have a really positive sporting experience, um, whatever code they're playing, I think that's probably a good place to begin. So what are some of the key considerations we need to factor in when making these decisions as adults creating environments around playing time in your opinion? Yeah, I think um, it's probably a conversation of uh, the spectrum of kind of grassroots to high performance. There's probably a conversation of the spectrum of what age group as well. Like mm. um, my opinion, even in a high performance would be different from kind of under nine to probably uh, under 18s. I think there are some differences in that. Um, but from the, the context that we think, I, I would imagine that um, we need to talk about these guys uh, loving loving the game and playing football every single week. So. Um, in different environments, that those kind of uh, rules of what we do with game time can be slightly different. Um, but but essentially, I, I think um, 
we need the boys to be on the pitch. Mm. So how you divide that up it does vary from club to club. Um, so you, the the view of equal playing time is an interesting one because you know if you divide everything equally, everybody gets the same experience. But whether that should be true, like I said, at under eight through to under eighteens, and whether that changes in a high performance one, I suppose is something we need to tackle, isn't it? Like, well, what is your opinion on that? Would you do the same kind of process with? So the question was under seven to under seventeen. Would you do the same thing with with playing time in, in all those age groups? Look, I think there's considerations with older players, and you can start having that discussion around um, the players taking some ownership of how they see their team. So, having worked in a club environment uh, a number of years ago in Sydney, um, I spoke to the players at the start of the year and said, "Okay, well, do you guys want equal playing time, uh, or do you want to compete by effort at training?" attending training and making sure that we have some criteria that players are turning up every week and being committed to the two sessions a week. Um, and then they sort of went, look, we, we want to achieve, um, they, they set a goal of achieving a top four finish um, the first time we kind of had that conversation. And then they said, yeah, we really do want to create a competition for places. So I tried to facilitate that whilst ensuring that players got game time on the weekend. So it was very much a pick players um, based on effort, reward performance and so on. Now in hindsight, I'm not sure I would always do that again. These were under 16s at the time. Um, I think now I would probably frame that a little differently and head towards equal playing time with the view, as you said, that boys, girls, they all need to be on the park. They need to be tr they need to be playing and, and getting opportunity to be in, a, in an environment where it's not just training. So I, I might do that a little differently, but I do think as you start to get towards the older players, it is important to start creating, um, I guess not reward in terms of just extrinsic rewards and hanging a carrot there, but um, rewarding those who really are committed, particularly in those grassroots environments where some players may be, you know, uh, stretched across different sports and deciding which sport they're going to go to, but there may be two or three players who are turning up every week and really trying and showing that level of passion. So perhaps it becomes a consideration at the older age groups. I would definitely say, look, in my view, I don't want to sort of create a blanket rule, but generally anything under 14s, I'd suggest that equal playing time would be a really good way to go. Um, and then maybe you can have those discussions relative to where you are. But again, it's, it's something that needs to be really considered. Um, and I think the players need to have that conversation as well around, well, you know, if you've missed three or four sessions and somebody else is sitting down because, you know, you should be getting equal playing time, maybe there should be a conversation on why you're missing training and, and, and coming up with some values that the team should buy into. So a little bit of a download there and a, and a few directions to go, but sort of what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think the kind of social construct or the rules around, you know, we expect you to train this often and then you get this is important because it can be also that it's not fair if you train twice a week and there's our boy that's there every single week and there's a boy that turns up once a month, should those boys get the same opportunity? Mm. I don't know. I think to boil this down to its kind of simplest form, the, there might be some people thinking, why wouldn't you always pick your strongest team and, you know, your strongest 11? I think the opportunity cost there is... If you are picking teams to win now, your best player might be the one set on the bench. Mm. So we've got lots of context. Sorry, got lots of content around kind of relative age effect and uh, growth and maturation and bio banding and those sort of things. And if you are picking the strongest, fastest kids, those are most likely to be the early maturers. They're most likely to be the Q ones and Q twos, mm -hmm. um, and they might look good now, especially in that kind of teenage age group where everybody's growing at different rates. You can get. 13 and 14 year olds that you know are 12 inches taller um so if you're picking the biggest strongest there then your best player in the group at that age might actually not be the best one at the end so even in a high performance setting like clubs tend to do equal playing time or equal starts at mm. least 
um, because even if the coach has an idea of what looks good now and what what looks strong now, it might not be when you get to when you talk about the pointy end. Yeah. It might not be that that player was the the right one, and and you are um, narrowing the options and kind of narrowing that um, that net. If you're only picking the same kind of eleven or twelve boys every week, and somebody's getting twenty minutes, mm. that that boy that's getting twenty minutes might have been your best player. Yeah, you know, maybe not today, but but given the opportunity to shine. So. Um, I know working in academy football, different clubs do do different things. And some clubs have like a win week where once a month they will pick a team to win games. Um, some clubs have uh, like a, a policy for every kind of week to week and then a different policy for tours and tournaments where, you know, they might go with a different attitude. Um, in the environment I work in, we tend to do a minimum of 50% game time. So on a Sunday, everybody will get a minimum. That means that players that are in good moments or have trained harder or, have, or you know are down on game time might get more game time than others so we don't do it equally we do it 50 percent but then we also do throughout the season uh 50 starts so throughout the year you would expect to have started 50 percent of the games because i think again especially with kids constantly being a sub and even if you are getting equal playing time but coming off the bench and getting half your game from the bench there is kind of a a psychological challenge there that perhaps we don't need to do and we do need to mix up what the, the starting 11 or best 11 if that's even a phrase in these age groups is mm. um, so yeah there's, there's lots of kind of, of swilling around there but I think that the the main point for me is what is why wouldn't you do this like what what is the opportunity cost of if we pick this best 11 every week which are the boys that are going to miss out and then the stories of what could those players have been if you if you've given them the opportunity to shine. Definitely. Look, the the, um, the point around, I guess, the starting 11 is interesting. The example I used before around the under-16 group I had many years ago, I had one player who didn't start for five games in a row. Now, again, in hindsight, I, I probably wouldn't take that approach coaching-wise. But again, it was it was a joint discussion. It was the values and the, and the team had dictated what they wanted to do. And this was a conversation that each week we were having with the player based on, uh, I guess, technical some things that were really difficult for this player technically and not throwing this player in so deep that he was just going to sink. So it was just, let's build for a few weeks. We'll keep talking. And the kid earned the start and the kid came on and scored a goal in his first game. And so what we saw was this enormous reward for a little bit of patience where we said, let's keep testing you at training. Let's keep talking about when the right moment is. And then we, we had this great, great outcome. Um, so it was a difficult one. And again, I'm not sure if it was right or wrong. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to sort of um, have that discussion around whether it is. Even, even, even how you frame that is interesting, right? Like that, what you said there might have been true. Mm. Like... It might have been the build-up and the training and the exposure and then putting him in at the right time. Mm. Or if he'd played one of those five games, he might have scored in one of those five games. Absolutely. Like the, the bias of maybe what we're telling ourselves, that this individual isn't ready and so I'm going to rest him and prepare him and then in five games he'll score a goal. I'm not saying you're a liar, but that might be might not mm. be true. Mm. And you could, have put, you could have put him in in game three and he might have scored two goals. Like yeah. that is, like we are not, you know, the oracle of football. There are things that happen that we don't know. And so... By giving that equal playing time, although like it might not be what you want to do, if you've got a model and you do it, you might see different stuff from different players, I think. I think the point of this exercise was very much to reward the player as well, not just give him something which he expected to have. Yeah. And there was a little bit of the social side of it um, without going into too many details around this player. It was it was one of those where I thought this, this player needs to earn it. So perhaps when you're getting to those older age groups, that could be a conversation you have with the teams. Look, 
reality is working in academy football in the UK, the best of the best are doing equal playing time. They're trying to expose kids to lots of different environments. I love the, I love the programs that run tours as an opportunity to encourage game management and competition and, and look at those win weeks or win tournaments as, as an opportunity to say, okay, well, over the course of a year, you've earned the right to attend this tournament because it's a privilege to come. Um, and there's lots of tournaments that grassroots clubs enter into. So if we go back to Appleton AFC and the, and the coaches that have asked this question, I think, well, if they're working through the season and they decide that our purpose is to ensure that our players stay with the club, our purpose is to ensure they have a great experience, they continue to develop as players, then I would go with equal playing time. Um, I think it would be really good to have those values across the age groups and say, look, we're going to put any league tables aside and we're going to say that equal playing time and developing all of our players within our club is the priority so that at the end of that journey or down the line in that journey, they're going to get exposed um, or have been exposed, which will then enable them to um, be better players and, and have the experiences that are going to help them be better players. So the short answer is yes, I think equal playing time across these age groups would be valuable. I think hopefully the nature of this conversation is throwing lots of little grenades in the mix to consider and things to weigh up. Um, and I think, I think players should learn to earn things. And I think the example of tours or tournaments, um, if, if let's say the Appleton AFC under 15s get entered in an end of season tournament, then that could be something that the players are working towards and thinking, yeah, I want to I be a part of that squad and I'm going to show uh, through effort and and uh, and commitment and performance throughout the season that I deserve to be there. Um, because the reality is there are lessons in life where sometimes things don't go your way and that little bit of adversity can be so important for players to develop. Um, but week in, week out, I think the equal playing time within that community or grassroots environment would be a great initiative. And I'd also say that bringing the parents into that equation will be important um, because there can be conflict around that as why is my boy not playing or why is my daughter getting, getting no game time and, and it's been three weeks since she's had a start. Um, I think it's really important to say, look, parents meeting at the start of the season and maybe touching base with those guys regularly to say, look, this is, this is why we're doing this. These are the outcomes that we're seeing as a result of this process and communicating that across all of the people who are effectively stakeholders within that environment um, is really important as well. It's not a case of closing up shop and, and excluding those people from the conversation. Yeah. And I think the kind of uh, generalization or the, the stereotype is that millennials feel hard done by and don't want to work hard and all this kind of other um, nonsense perhaps mm. that goes around on, on the media here in the UK. But also it is okay to tell kids that you, you need to work a bit harder or you need to yeah. practice a bit more or there's more work to do because like you said, that is life. Now, this club starts at under seven. At under seven, that would be a bit mental. To know. <laughs> you, need, you need to work a bit harder to craft a bit more. Yeah, but I'm six. <laughs> but but at 15, if somebody's doing more than you in training, or if somebody is um, fitter than you, or if somebody is more consistent than you, and that person starts more frequently than you, or is getting more minutes than you, mm. then like you are also preparing them for. Okay, what are you going to do about that? Like, I think as adults, we have a, a, a responsibility to make sure they get on the pitch and like they're still getting the opportunity. So like you said, they're not constantly sat on the bench and not getting that. Um, chance to interact but it is okay for, for the coach or for the parent to say okay well Dave's doing more than you at the moment or Dave's um, showing more than you at the moment what are you going to do about it mm. like that, that that is the world and I think that's where people get a little bit um, messed up with like eighth place trophies and every yeah. kid getting a trophy and all and like that I don't I think it's clear that like we're not saying that we're not saying that you know it's all kind of unicorns and rainbows and everybody gets the same <laughs> opportunities and let, let's kind of you know enjoy life because at some point whether that is when this 
club finishes at under 17, if someone moves on to a men's football, that isn't going to be the reality. So, yeah. again, when you phase that in, under seven, that conversation is crazy. Under 15, I think it's probably the reality. Like, mm. these kids are doing other sports. They are working towards uh, GCSEs in the UK. Like, if somebody does more study than you and attends more revision classes than you, they're probably going to get better grades than you. What yeah. are you going to do about it? Like, yeah. It's that, a good challenge. the world. We can't, we can't remove that. So it's when, when you put that in and also probably the skill of how you communicate that with, with parents and with kids, I think is, is uh, vital. Absolutely. I think just on that, there's a degree of planning and honesty. I think, first of all, being honest with the players. So if, they've, you know, if they're old enough to have the conversation we alluded to earlier, or if you're communicating with the parents because you're working with under eights, nines, tens, elevens, um, and you're going to say, look, equal playing time is our plan. It could be about how you communicate it. So prior to the game, maybe you tell the players on a Friday or let's say, you know, it's a Thursday night session, it's your second session of the week. Okay, well, this is going to be the starting lineup on the weekend and, and you're going to play, you're going to get half a game and you're going to get half a game and you're going to go out there and have your opportunity. And that, that could probably remove some of the anxiety when you're clear about what's going to happen on the weekend. Now, obviously, you need to be fluid and flexible in terms of changing based on what's happening on game day or you may get an injury. But as an example, in academy football, it's very common for the formats to be in 20-minute quarters. Um, and often you can plan perhaps your first two or three periods. You can plan the whether you're in 7, 9 or 11 aside. You can plan the team that will be on the pitch for each quarter. And you would do that regardless of whatever the result was in an academy setting. So going back again to the grassroots environment, I don't see why, there's no, why there is a reason why you can't do that with a game of football. Let's say it's two 35-minute halves at under 14s. Um, or under 13s, then maybe you can plan a team for each half and, and, and give or take um, injuries or anything else that eventuates. You've got a clear plan. The players are clear as to what they're doing. The play, players are clear to as to what they're working on. You know, we've talked a lot about individual learning and, and different podcasts and Q&As before. So when you go in with that transparency and that open communication, the players are probably a little bit calmer about what's going on. So again, comes back to communication. What values are we adhering to? And are we walking the walk week in, week out with what we're trying to achieve? Yeah, like you've said before on these things, that I, I've never coached a player that hasn't appreciated honesty. Mm. So just to kind of share a story from my context, I uh, last couple of months we've had a, we've had a cup competition. So it's kind of you play and then have three weeks off and then you play again. And you're only allowed to make a certain amount of subs and it's kind of the first experience for these kids where you do select an 11 and it's yep. not roll on, roll off like, uh, like it is week to week like you've just talked about with the four quarters. And I had two boys that were in a similar position um, both performing well, both probably deserve to start. And so in training, I said to them, like, this is this is I see it. You both deserve to start. You both deserve to play half the game. What do you want to do about it? And so we had two legs. And what we decided is one would start one leg and play the first half and then one would come on. And then in the second leg, we did the vice versa. So they had the, the other boy started the other one. And I saw both of them kind of accept it and understand it and then perform quite well because mm. of how honest we've kind of been with each other. So rather than just picking the team half an hour before kickoff and saying player A is playing and player B is, is sub, I felt like I'd have lost player B if I'd just benched him without any communication. So kind of saying, look, you both play in the same position, you're both doing well, what should we do about this? Kind of as it, it's a, a problem we have rather yeah. than a problem just I have. Like this is how I see it. And I think both of them appreciated it. And and also in a kind of just in a similar kind of vein, um, we did a similar thing with one of the wingers because we, we couldn't get all of our wingers on the pitch at the same time. And I said to him, I'm not going to start you in this game. I'm going to bring you on because I think you can impact the game there. Now, like some kids wouldn't take that because they're, they're not starting and they're not doing what they're doing mm. because no one was promised game time in this, uh, in this yeah. kind of format. 
he knew he was getting half of it. And I'd, I'd really kind of been honest with him and said, I think after the second half and 60 minutes, I think you'll really make a really you know important impact. This boy came on and scored and did well. And, and I think the skill is being honest with these guys and, and telling them kind of your strategy and your thoughts behind it. Like, listen, they won't always agree with it. And those are mm. two nice scenarios that worked out. But the transparency of it, like, Dave, this is how I see the situation and this is how I'm going to play it. I think help the players on game day. I think doing that 10 minutes before kickoff, half an hour before yeah. kickoff is really hard for kids to kind of process. Yeah. So I did it lead up to training and I said, look, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do it. And I think that kind of, I know you don't like the phrase, but that kind of buy-in was was really clear. Like kids kind of understood our purpose and went, right, cool. That's you know. And then on game day, we were seeing a good response. So that is, I suppose, kind of, digging into the layers of this question of what you could mm. do with equal playing time and, and then in different scenarios, how you can kind of communicate with your players. And it's not just the coach's problem, it's a, a problem the squad are experiencing. And here are here's some solutions to kind of um, to fix that. Yeah, it's a nice example. I think one of the thing with, things with coaching is players are never going to agree with everything and, and coaches are going to make mistakes, players are going to make mistakes and you know, you're going to try things and you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but that sounds like a good scenario. Just to um, sort of add some additional thoughts to this, we do have some good content around how coaches can redefine success. It's obviously a topic that sort of runs through a lot of the work on the PDP website. We've got a webinar that yourself, uh, Jimmy Vaughan and I did uh, for members, Redefining Success webinar. There's also a masterclass where I've shared a presentation on how coaches can go and do that, as well as an article in the magazine. I'd recommend looking at the magazine article Built on Trust, which is an interview with Christian Speakman from Birmingham City, a really good one about how uh, to take an individual approach with players and, and, and communicate and frame things for them. And also an article we did an interview with John Van Ship, who's back over in Holland coaching over there um, and has worked at Ajax and, and Melbourne City uh, down under called Putting the Players First. And again, just a really good example of how to approach your coaching to, to put those players first and really get the focus right around your communication. So. Hopefully that'll help the coaches at Appleton AFC. Dan, any final thoughts on this topic? I think like always when we get into these, there are a really simple, quick, easy answer that's like 30 seconds, but the context <laughs> behind all these things is really interesting. And just hearing you reflect on like what you did with that under 16 team, mm. however long that you know ago that was, is showing perhaps however your coaching journey, you have one view on one thing. And then as you get more exposed to to you know, seeing players go through a whole system, or seeing how other clubs work, or being exposed to different cultures and different different sort of cultures and clubs in those cultures, you kind of reflect on okay, why are we doing what we're doing? And and perhaps when I started coaching, I would have picked the strongest eleven all the time, yeah. and I would have given some token minutes off the bench. Now I absolutely wouldn't do that. Like I've seen kids that were middle of the pack come through and be professional footballers, yeah. even at fourteen, middle of the pack, really average maybe physically late or physically early, but technically needed some work. So kind of keeping that open um, open mindset to what you what you used to do and why you're doing it and constantly challenging it and then saying, okay, is there a better way? And there are moments in that kind of plan and structure where it is horrible. Like yeah. you are you are struggling and you are losing games and you're not getting good performances, but it's having that skill of zooming out and what are we what yeah. we're doing and why we're doing it and having that really kind of clear purpose. I think is that that was a nice, nice takeaway from you that what you would have done 10 years ago, I think now actually I look at it and I wouldn't do that at all. So that, and that's cool. That's, 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 um, that's being honest and kind of, um, vulnerable so that, that that's uh, that's a message yeah well, the example you refer to is is close to 10 years ago so i think we're on the same page that the bottom line is equal playing time within those age groups would be really beneficial dan thanks for your thoughts and uh, once again enjoyed the conversation 
Yeah, it's been really good. Thanks, mate. Excellent. And uh, we wish Appleton AFC all the best with their coaching, and hopefully this has shed some light and provided some ideas for them. We'll look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.